Hashtag never alone with Joe and Mark. Hi everyone and welcome to Hashtag Never Alone Season 3 Episode 4. I am your lived experience host, Joe Ambridge. And I'm psychotherapist and relationship counsellor Mark Fielding and Joe's co-host. And we are back for another episode. It might be my last episode for a little while as I am off to London soon. We haven't decided we're going to record yet, but um, we might be releasing some promotional stuff soon. Um, anyway, yeah, so today's topic is different types of therapy. As you know, we've covered a few different to- um, types of therapy in last season, ENT, I think it was, or EFT, and there was another one we covered. Um, I think it was hypnotherapy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And today we are going to be covering CBT and DBT, um, which is cognitive behavioral therapy and dialectual behavioral therapy. Is that right, Mark? I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think awesome. so. Yeah. So we are joined by two uh, two guests today. This is the first episode we've had this season when we've had two guests, um, which was a common theme in last season where we had two guests every week. Um, we're joined by Adrian Allen and John Finch. Uh, thanks for joining us, guys. Thank you. Bye. So John is going to talk about CBT and Adrian is going to talk about DBT. Um, we'll start with John. John, what can you tell us about CBT? Well, CBT, uh, it's been around for a long time, sort of started way back in the, the 60s. Um, and it's a, a kind of therapy that... Um, focuses on what our kind of uh, systems of thoughts are, our beliefs, our kind of unhelpful ways of thinking. That's kind of one of the the core kind of principles that that affects how we feel. And that also we have um, patterns of behaviour that go with this, that that, uh, can be learnt patterns of behaviour that might not always be helpful. And that ideally we solve psychological problems and learn better ways to kind of cope by uh, looking at our patterns of thinking, changing our patterns of thinking and belief, and also sort of changing our patterns of um, behaviour. That's the the kind of basic premise, I think. That's how I'd sum it up. Yeah, and could, could, could I ask, John, I mean, this is probably, you know, asking you to, it's a big question, but what kind of, um, what kind of symptoms is CBT best suited to, to treat? I mean, what kind of people will come and see you, will consult with you, and what kind of you know, symptoms will they bring? So across, I guess, across a range of um, problems or disorders. Um, so um, from um, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, which is the area I focus on, uh, through to anxiety problems, anxiety disorders, um, and also you know, depression, uh, but also eating disorders, uh, things like insomnia. So across a whole range of uh, mental health issues, whether that's uh, an issue that we might uh, uh, construe as um, uh, sort of a, a life stressor or whether it's actually a mental health problem. Awesome. And uh, Adrian, um, what can you tell us about DBT and similar question to what we asked uh, Mark asked John, what sort of symptoms do um, people that come to see you have? So DBT um, stands for Dialectical Behavioural Therapy. It was developed by a woman called Marsha Linehan uh, 20, 30 years ago, approximately. And it was really um, developed to help people who had 
really significant concerns. One of the main concerns was about ongoing um, suicidal thinking um, that would often include, um, you know, associated behaviour. And, and it was really designed to try to, to help people improve how they feel. Um, and it's got uh, around three or four main components to it. So one is aimed at helping people do what's called emotion regulation. So that really means learning how to recognize and understand you know, particular kinds of emotion and emotional experience, and then to have a way to be able to um, manage those so that it doesn't have to be overwhelming. Another part of it is around learning um, a lot of skills that can be helpful, <clears throat> excuse me, in day-to-day -day interactions with people where it can be challenging. We all know that we vary in height, we vary in eye colour, et cetera, et cetera. We also vary in how sensitive we are to our own emotion and to other people. So there's another part of it, which is really learning how to master some of that sensitivity and, and to be able to approach people in the most helpful way. Uh, and another part is what we call distress tolerance, which is really learning how to handle times of really intense, overwhelming, uncomfortable distress, often for things that might come up in what we might think to be normal or but unfortunate life circumstances. So that might be uh, the loss of a relationship. It might be job loss or some other kind of significant change. It might even be losing someone. So how can you have a way to handle that that doesn't make the situation worse and to be able to handle times, even if strong urges um, around uh, suicidal thinking come up. And a core part of the approach is to actually develop a mindfulness practice. And that really, which you may have covered, so apologies if I'm repeating stuff that, that you've looked at before, uh, is really a way of learning how to attend to moment-to-moment -moment experience in a way that's not judgmental. Um, the, kind, the kind of um, mental health condition uh, that this has been developed for initially is something that uh, has been called borderline personality disorder, um, which is a, a, you know, a difficulty that people can experience around managing strong emotions, um, being sensitive to other people can have concerns around self-esteem and at, at times might even include uh, concerns around self-harm and, and suicidal thinking. So that's really what it was, was initially developed for. There has been um, some application of DBT skills to other kinds of conditions. Um, at times, um, I've seen some, some use of it for bipolar type mood variation. Um, I hope I've answered that question okay. And what I would say, and, and you might uh, put this in the podcast, so I don't mean to overstep, but if anyone listening has any concerns and you live in Australia, um, I'd say call Lifeline if any of what I'm saying is bringing up any concerns on 131114. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm really interested in the kind of emotion regulation and the mindfulness component. I mean, mindfulness is something... You know, we yeah. do talk a lot about on the show. I mean, I'm you know a big fan as a, as a practitioner. I mean, I use a lot of mindfulness in my practice. But could I maybe just ask you, 
give us an example of how mindfulness might how you might use it with a client i mean maybe a client with with ptsd because i know you both specialize you know in, in that area i mean if someone with ptsd came in what, what kind of techniques adrian would you use with them i mean how, how would you use dbt well actually if i was treating ptsd i, I wouldn't be using dbt oh, okay. uh, as my first line approach yeah i'd actually be using a what we call a trauma focused cbt type approach so perhaps um john could speak to that okay would that be okay yeah. john yeah yes yes um yeah trauma focused uh, cbt is uh, sort of the gold standard in terms of um uh best outcomes for people with um with ptsd mindfulness approaches uh have a bit of a challenge in that um often the, the level of distress actually makes it quite hard to uh, engage in mindfulness and the particular kind of thoughts that people have, which are intrusive um, with PTSD, make it quite difficult to do mindfulness. It might be something that you could do kind of further down the track. But in terms of um, the, the CBT approach and trauma-focused therapy, um, if, we, if we sort of just have general discussion with clients, we know that that doesn't have as good outcomes as if we have a focus on the trauma. And there, there are sort of three main um, trauma-focused uh, CBTs, if you like, different types of therapy. And those are EMDR, which you might've discussed in the past, I'm not sure. That's eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Uh, prolonged exposure, which is a sort of fairly behavioral kind of the B part of CBT. And there is a, a trauma-focused CBT, which uh, kind of has a bit of that uh, prolonged exposure in it, but also some um, cognitive components. And then there's the one that I prefer and think is the best thing since sliced bread, and that's called cognitive processing therapy. And that fo focuses very heavily on the cognitive aspects, which is kind of getting all the thinking and the beliefs and the understanding about a trauma sorted, if you like, getting a story understood uh, and um, once people are able to do that, then they can move on to things like mindfulness more effectively. One of the challenges with uh, PTSD is that um, people really want to avoid any of the intrusive um, phenomenon, if you like, which might be feelings, it might be uh, sensations, but it's most often um, thoughts and beliefs and, and imagery and sort of... Um, what often people call triggers that remind them of the trauma. And in the mindfulness context, sometimes people can use that as a way to try and avoid approaching those things. And we know all the trauma-focused therapies which have the best outcomes are really focused on approaching that difficult content in some way. Yeah. Yeah. So mindfulness is a, a good option, probably further down the track, I would think, but um, to start with, it can actually be quite difficult. Yeah, I've been lucky enough to experience both types of therapy. I was lucky, but I've been fortunate enough to be able to get in and have those both different times. So both different types. So I suffer from anxiety and depression, and I'd been diagnosed with that for a while. And then only recently I got diagnosed with BPD. So I've experienced kind of both types of therapy, and they are really beneficial. Um, I don't know what question was now. <laughs> I mean, could I just, I was just going to jump in and say, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, self-disclosure, I mean, I, I've, also, I've had EMDR and goodness me, I mean, it was like a revelation to me, really. 
you know, I mean, I, I found it to be, you know, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I think it's true for all practitioners, you know, we all had our own, you know, things to work through and our own therapies over the years, you know, but EMDR, you know, I went into it really not expecting much, you know, I thought, oh, maybe it's a bit hokey, but goodness me, it was incredible, really. I mean, it's, you know, and I've read a lot of, you know, it's quite evidence-based as well, isn't it? Really, really interesting. Yeah. yeah. The episode we got in it was really interesting learning about it. I think we did it like last season or something, maybe. We did an episode on EM, uh, EMDR. It was really interesting just learning about it and how beneficial it could be to helping you deal with everything. Mm. Uh, yeah, that, just, that particular yeah. focus on trauma uh, how it tends to have quite a different outcome than uh, a sort of general kind of counseling even even cbt that might be focused on uh, somebody might be experiencing anxiety due to trauma there's they might have some treatment for that and and have some progress but when it's a trauma focus they often do even better uh, um, a question i've got for both of you for some i know a lot of people can be scared to kind of go into therapy because they feel like maybe they might be judged because either by the therapist or by other people for having therapy. Um, I know I was definitely scared at the start when I first started having therapy that my people might see me differently because it's admitting that I have a weakness. Um, ever since I like I was hugely beneficial, I definitely felt when I finished my sessions that I was feeling the difference. Um, what advice would you have for people that are kind of scared to come in and see someone about their um, mental illness or any of the issues they might be suffering or struggling to deal with i'll let you go first adrian okay um unless what, i'm what I would say, sorry no that's okay um i look what i'd say at first is that's that's a really common kind of concern um so i think if anyone's listening and is thinking about it you're certainly not on your own or never alone um to use the the, the line of the the title um you know usually the way that that i approach things Sometimes I'm happy, I'd encourage people if they want to just call up and have a quick chat to me over the phone, not for doing any kind of assessment, but just to get a sense of how the process works. Um, that's often a good way to go. Um, usually the way I approach things is the first couple of times I meet with someone, it's really just to get to understand how people have been feeling and working out how I can be helpful. Um, and I am a big advocate for seeing mental health as part of health. Uh, and I will often say, look, if you have a, uh, you know, a sprained ankle, you're gonna see the doctor, people feel okay to go to a physio. Mental health is part of health. And I think it's entirely legitimate to wanna see a specialist um, about mental health as you would for any other aspect of health. And at first you don't have to commit to a really long um, number of sessions it's totally fine to come in, get a sense of how things feel um, and then work out if it's something that you want to continue with. On occasion, I've, I've seen people who might have tried a to see a couple of other therapists first. Um, so that's, that's not an uncommon thing. Um, it may be the case that people who've, who have seen me have gone and seen someone else after and that's totally fine. Uh, and usually the approach as well when it comes to whether it's DBT or CBT is really a skills-based approach to learning how to actively handle um, emotion and to be able to 
ultimately get to a point where you you can hopefully try to manage your mental health independently. So in a way, it's a lot like seeing a personal trainer uh, for fitness in that you'll see the train, you see that the therapist reasonably regularly, maybe once a week or once a fortnight, you'll agree the program that you'll apply and then you go and try to, to practice those skills in between the times that you meet. Um, Let's see, John, is there anything that, that you'd want to Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd take that take that analogy a little bit further in that um, absolutely it's sort of something like like a personal trainer. And mental health is is um, on a continuum, like fitness might be on a continuum, you know, and we all we all have um, maybe times when we're not so fit, where we're, you know, overindulging in things that might not be great for us. And sometimes we need to kind of have someone help us along the way who kind of knows about this stuff. And that's, that's all the psychologist is somebody who's studied this stuff, this stuff called mental health and, you know, it can help you move from maybe the end of the continuum where you're not feeling great to the end of the continuum where you're, you know, functioning well and you, you learn things along the way and you apply those things just like if you, you know, you learn to eat chocolate cake every day, there might be some consequences for that if you stop and learn how to not eat chocolate cake and do some things and maintain those things that, um, you know, that, that you, you get changes with that. And, and then sometimes, you know, over time, those things actually become, you know, instead of eating chocolate cake, you go for the run and actually that feels good. And so sometimes the, those things that we learn through therapy are things that actually can be ways of dealing with the world ways of being that actually become a kind of choice of doing which which helps with our mental health yeah and I, I i agree with you both i mean it is you know it is a continuum and you know and i think people can learn strategies in therapy that they can take away in order to you know scaffold their mental health you know for the rest of their life you know and all of those strategies are going to be different depending on the individual and what they bring you know with some of the strategy i mean physical exercise you know there's a ton of research isn't there the benefits of that i mean there are many many kind of strategy meditation would be, would, would be another one you know and I, and I guess in terms of you know intrusive thoughts you know some people have very very busy minds don't they you know and they're more prone to mm. having intrusive thoughts but finding a way to manage those intrusive thoughts so they perhaps land less and you know and the client identifies less with them I mean that's a strategy that I think can be learned you know and then taken away I mean I, I really love the personal trainer analogy because I mean that that is how it is really isn't it you know, you're, you're helping people not only you know to deal with the, perhaps the crisis they're in now, but to give them techniques that they could take away and just work on, you know, for, for the rest of their life, really. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I really, really like that. Um, I, I wanted to, if it was okay, I wanted to ask you, Adrian, just a, it's a bit of a rewind, but in terms of DBT and working with emotional dysregulation, um, I mean, and that could come from anywhere, couldn't it? That could come from attachment injury. I, I mean, it, it fits kind of lots of different classifications how does the dbt approach help people regulate their very very strong emotions i mean what how does the technique work i mean what, what would you do with a client experiencing very very kind of strong emotional dysregulation so really where and this is also my approach as well um which which i bring to this so i, I should say that um there may be some people who when they're undergoing dbt might find that there's a bit of nuance depending on who you work with. Though generally the core parts should be the same because it's a fairly, what we call programmatic or manualized type of approach. 
Uh, I won't go into all of the detail here, but it, it really comes down to understanding, um, you know, what emotion is, why we have it in the first place. And, and in short, it's really something in part that we've, we've adapted as humans have evolved really to help give us quick information about what's happening in our environment so we can respond helpfully. It's also, it allows us to be able to communicate non-verbally with people. And that, that over time we think has had some survival advantage, but also is also important to, um, uh, you know, build, building social bonds as, as well. Then we will explain what is a helpful model of emotion to understand. And actually there is, uh, at, in, in parts, there is quite a bit of overlap with CBT. Um, and so it will often be the cognitive behavioral model of emotion that can be helpful to explain what emotion is. And, and in short, that really is um, an experience that's made up really as a combination of thoughts um, mood, which might be the emotion itself, the emotional label for how we feel, the physical sensations, and then the, the behaviours and actions and urges that are then motivated or driven by that emotion. And what we then do, once we've got each of those pieces laid out, it's then about using particular skills to be able to handle, in part, thinking in a different way to handle strong sensations and, and strong mood intensity in, in a different way um, and being able to, to curb some of the urges um, that can come up. Have I answered that okay mm. or did you want anything else? Yeah, maybe come in and just again just ask a follow-up. Yeah, I mean that, that, was, mm. that was really clear. Would it work for, I mean, I guess there's, there's, you know, a whole level of, you know, dysregulation that people can feel, you know, depending on their personal experience. I mean, would DBT be a, a good method for working with preoccupied attachment? I mean, you know, preoccupied attachment brings up a lot of very strong feelings, you know, and people do suffer, I think, in relationships, you know, they struggle to manage those feelings. Would DBT be something that could help people, people with you know, those kind of levels of emotional regulation, um, emotional regulation within relationship within couple dynamics? Uh, it certainly could be. I mean, to, as a disclaimer, I'd need to go and look at the specific the research specifically on that question okay. um, to, to give a sensible answer. But uh, in, in general, part of what we look at in DBT does come down to cover part of what happens in attachment. And that's where the, the piece around what we might sometimes call interpersonal effectiveness um, comes in. So how to recognize certain, you know, what attachment is, some of the different patterns of attachment styles that people can develop. And to, to link that at times actually to people's, uh, you know, life history. And what are some of the experiences that people may have had um, earlier on in their life that might inform an approach to relationships and what might be particular skills. If there are certain approaches that people have developed over time that at one time did make sense and are totally understandable in one particular context, it may just be that in a different time, in a different context, in a different relationship, those approaches um, aren't working in the same way anymore. And it can be helpful to learn ways of of changing and adapting those. So in part, it can address that. Okay, thanks, Adrian. That's helpful. Uh, is it, if it's okay, I'm just, I just wanted to ask uh, John, 
John, mm. this is a bit of a jump to something else, but I was really interested in, in your work with with veterans. Um, mm -hmm. with, with, yeah, and, and I just wonder whether you could tell us a little bit a little bit more about it. Uh, what would you, what would you well, like to know? Well, just just kind of what you see. I mean, I guess there's probably quite a lot of PTSD, and uh, I mean, just anything really. I mean, I know yes. it's a massive question so, to ask well, you. I, well, the veteran veteran community, yes, they they do get exposed to a lot of trauma, just even in the training, that kind of thing. Um, uh, and um, uh, yes, we, we we see a lot of different different kind of presentations. Uh, it's quite uh, often that we see people who don't just have one trauma, that they have kind of multiple traumas and that they're not, most people, um, uh, you know, not, don't necessarily have maybe a trauma that's to do with, um, exclusively to do with their military service. They may have other traumas as well. That's quite common. Once people are exposed to trauma, there's actually a higher kind of prevalence of more trauma in their life, basically. Um, so that, that group, um, people might assume that, that it's due to uh, their military kind of experience, but sometimes it's actually a mixture of that and other things. Mm. Uh, and with the CBT approaches to, to trauma, all of them actually work when people have multiple traumas. Sometimes um, people think, oh, you can only do it with one trauma. And that if it's, if it's, if it's more than one trauma, then it's complex PTSD and you can't do any of these kind of therapies, the CBT-based therapies, but that's actually not true. And uh, you can effectively treat people with hundreds of traumas and I've, I've done that. Um, so the veteran group have, yes, that, that military exposure, which is sort of maybe obvious, but they often also have other things going on as well. Um, and they, as a group, they tend to have uh, more what we call hyperarousal, where they're, they're sort of more switched on, more anxious than the average person, because that's part of their training. And it's also part of the experience when you're in a, a war zone where your level of um, readiness to respond to any danger or any kind of stimuli of any sort, if you like, you know, is, is much more amplified. Um, so that's something that we certainly see in that, that group. Um, as a group, it's known that they are actually uh, more difficult to treat, which doesn't mean anything about them as people. What it means is that, that the outcomes they have are usually not as good as civilians. So when, when we rate them on various scales of, of how well their PTSD has reduced, that sort of thing, uh, veterans tend not to reduce as much as civilians. Um, we're not exactly sure what that is, so, but as a group, um, they're often a really good group to treat because they are often really interested in getting better. And that's always, always a nice thing. Um, they can, uh, as, as a group, it can be the obvious sort of a war zone, but people who have been peacekeepers, people who have jobs where they're just a photographer, uh, people who uh, lose uh, part of um, one of the criteria for PTSD is losing family or friends, and having that in an accidental or violent way. And often when you have really high levels of bonds with people who you've gone through basic training, you're also in a war zone, and then you lose those people, that can often be another kind of aspect of the trauma that they might have where they haven't directly witnessed anything, but they have those things going on. So as a group, they're very interesting to uh, assist. Um, what else could I tell you about them? 
uh, that respond well to uh, CBT type treatments, whether that be for PTSD or for things like anxiety and depression. And it's, it's so interesting, but yeah, I, I noticed when in the in the email that we 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 got when we contacted you, peacekeepers. Yeah, so I mean, so I guess what you're saying is that people don't have to be directly involved. You know, they, they can they can be onlookers, and then they can you know, experience mm. the same kind of level of trauma. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And some of the peacekeepers have um, significant difficulties in that the the rules of engagement that they have mean that they have to be an onlooker. And they can't do anything, even though they may have, you know, the, the capacity to defend themselves. They're not allowed to defend the people around them because of the rules of engagement. And, and that can be a very challenging um, thing for, for probably for anyone. But when you, your job is going to try and help, uh, it can make things really quite difficult. I'm um, going, going back Sorry, a step to one of the questions you yeah. were talking about earlier. There's a little bit of research for cognitive processing therapy in relation to attachment. So people who have been traumatized and kind of the outcomes uh, for their um, kind of attachment related avoidance or attachment related um, anxiety. Yeah. And what they, they have done um, cognitive processing therapy uh, for a, a developmental group where it's between 14 and 21 and um, what they found was that um, they got they got some changes in um, the attachment related anxiety, and that's so that the anxiety that goes with sort of vigilance about rejection and, and abandonment, um, and so without even kind of focusing on the treatment for attachment as such, by focusing on the trauma. Uh, they got some shifts in those sort of areas. So that was a fairly interesting thing when I read that. It's oh, really interesting. Mm. Do you want to come in, Joe? Yeah, sure. I just wanted to go on to the topic of road to recovery. Uh, this is a general question for both of you. If, um, say, someone comes to you at the start of their journey, maybe they've had a mental breakdown recently or a traumatic um, event has happened in their life, what kind of advice would you give them to know what sort of therapies they might need, whether they need CBT or DBT or um, group therapy. So, well, I guess the first, the first uh, approach I would be taking would be looking at that mental health continuum and do, do we look at what, what's going on for you as something that we might call a diagnosable problem. And, and that, that's, that's like, you know, if you go to the doctor and your foot hurts, you want to know, does your foot hurt because you sprained your ankle or because you've broken a bone? Because that they, they both hurt. Um, maybe one hurts more than the other, I don't know, but they both hurt. But the treatments might actually be quite different. And you know, establishing, okay, what is the kind of problem? Is it a life stress or, or has it moved to become a pattern that's actually kind of unhelpful? And that, that diagnostic framework can help in terms of indicating what kind of treatment might be, be the best treatment because somebody, for example, who might have had a trauma might be anxious, uh, they might feel a bit depressed and they might have PTSD, they might have all three, but if they were going to attend with me, I would be suggesting that the focus on trauma would be the first thing we do because we know that 
the guidelines all tell us about if you focus on that maybe the depressive and anxiety symptoms might actually remit by themselves and they quite often do so i would say this sort of having a diagnostic framework is a really useful thing even though that's kind of part of what people are very apprehensive about uh, it is actually it takes us in a direction of well what can we actually do for for this problem so that that's sort of i suppose the the kind of first thing i'd be saying to someone the road to recovery might be kind of thinking about well, what how do we actually understand this and maybe it doesn't fit that that category of a diagnosis and in that case you know we need to sort out then what's the what are the particular um, issues that come up and then how we might fit those into either a cbt model or a, a dbt model or whatever other models might might fit for that particular problem i'll let you and yourself, like Adrian. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I agree with, with everything John said, and that's that's very similar to my approach as well. And I think, um, you know, other ways that that I might approach it as well with people is to ask people when they first come in, um, how what is it that people are actually wanting to get out of coming in? Um, are there particular problems that are the main ones that are there that people would like to work on? what are the particular ways that people would like to feel different or that they would like for things to be different. And that can start to inform how we might do things. Um, similar to John, I would always be looking where someone sits on the continuum. Is there what we call a, a diagnosable mental health problem? And then if that, is, you know, if that is there to work out together, which is the one that feels like it's, it's causing the most difficulty at the moment? Uh, and then explaining what different um, treatment options would be. And, and the approach that I use is the first cabs off the rank would be anything that are what we call an empirically supported um, treatment approach. So anything that has good research evidence that shows that, that it can be helpful for people. Um, and certainly CBT and DBT are two of those, depending on the particular kind of difficulty. Um, and what I'd say as well, echoing what John said, that certainly with things like anxiety, depression, PTSD, there is a certain amount of overlap in um, the symptoms that people can experience. Uh, and so we often find that because there can be, um, cause of that overlap, if we find improvement in, if we can start working on one main area and get a little bit of improvement there, we can often see improvement in some other areas. Um, the final thing that I'd say is I will always encourage people to, you know, ask me any questions that they have as well, even before we kick off. Um, it doesn't all have to be a, a one-way street. And the, one of the main things is that people need to feel comfortable um, with, you know, with the therapist in the room or, a, well, or at least on the other end of a webcam now. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd echo that, that too in terms of it, therapy, a road to recovery is actually kind of something where, you know, just like, like you know, the, the sort of health thing, the personal trainer, it's actually a collaborative process. You don't, most people wouldn't see a, a personal trainer every day they train uh, and, you know, they, they set in place something, but they set in place something that works for them. They try it out. They, they go back for feedback. 
and that's all part of the therapy process where you know th therapists have have knowledge but they don't have all of it and it needs to be something that kind of fits for the client and working collaboratively is a very important part of I think what most therapists do yeah and then the, the relationship I mean you both said this and the, the research supports it doesn't it that you know I think irrespective of the type of therapy the relationship is really key isn't it you know, I think people that are seeking therapy, they really need to, you know, yeah, I mean, maybe interview a few therapists first, you know, because I guess the relationship being so important, you have to be with somebody that you feel comfortable to work with, you know, that really is the, the you know, that that's the foundation, I think, for all of the work, whatever, whatever we do. And, and in terms of types of therapy, you know, I was just going to say, you know, it is so confusing, isn't it, for people? I mean, you know, when, when you're in the field, you know, you, you, you have an understanding you might not have training in every type of therapy but you have an understanding of what all the therapies are and you know and that they continue to increase don't they there are so many different therapies i just think it's so confusing for somebody that somebody that's suffering and they want help you know and they, they kind of over here there's a thing called a counseling directory so people will look and everyone's offering something different it's something i hear a lot from clients you know what on earth is going to help me you know, so I think the, you know, the, the introductory interview and kind of asking the therapists what they do and, you know, some of the evidence base that you were talking about, Aidan, I think is incredibly important, but it's so confusing for people that need help, I think, increasingly so. Yeah, yeah. And I think it, it's one of the, there are a few things that, you know, as a profession, we, we are always looking to improve. And I think that communicating what treatment is, what the options are, what to reasonably expect, what to get it for, who to see, are all areas where there's been improvement and we can probably still do better. Yes, it's a, it's a very big, very big area, the, the therapy area, and it is a, it is a challenge. And um, there are many, yeah, many therapies with many acronyms out there. It gets very confusing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, even when you're in the field, it does get kind of, I mean, keeping up gets quite confusing because yeah. there's sort of seemingly every week there's a different type of therapy, isn't there, coming out? So, yeah. Um, did, you want um, one, did you guys have any, like, websites or anything? If anyone wanted to contact you or anything that you wanted to link? Or you wanted to share with us that we could share with our listeners? Um, if, uh, uh, if people are... Um, having difficulties with traumatic experiences. Uh, our centre, the Centre for Clinical Psychology, focuses on, on that area. Um, our website is uh, ccp.net.au, which, which is not the Chinese Communist Party. <laughs> um, we only found that out sometime later. Um, but uh, that's, yeah, that's our area. We do... Um, uh, we do also see people under telehealth. We know that um, cognitive processing therapy for PTSD actually has some research that shows it works just as well via telehealth as well as um, in person. So um, that's something that we kind of offer as well. Uh, yeah, look, if anyone who wants any other information about the way that I do things, the my practice name is the Healthy Mind Clinic. The uh, websites healthymindclinic.com.au we've also got an instagram account where we try just to put out helpful free mental health information which is at healthy mind stuff on uh, on instagram uh, and and my approach as well is uh, most of the time for a, 
seeing things like different kinds of anxiety, depression, PTSD, other trauma-related difficulties. Um, one of my main areas of, of expertise is CBT uh, as well, which is what I'm, what I'm often trying to do. Uh, and then occasionally I'll draw from other approaches, perhaps acceptance-based approaches or, or DBT and use that if um, helpful. The final thing I want to say about DBT, sorry, I know that's not what you asked about, is sure. that the, the best way for people to access it if they can, is actually to do it um, in what's called a group skills training program. And so that the way that DBT would usually work is that it would be up to 12 months, sometimes longer, um, with um, weekly group skills sessions, and then also meeting an individual therapist um, at least once a week as well. So that's the, the the way I would be encouraging people to to do it, if people were considering DBT or or if any uh, professionals had been recommending the approach to them. Yeah, I did a bit of um, group therapy for a uh, did a self esteem workshop for um, I think it was six weeks. I was definitely I was scared to do group therapy because I didn't like talking in front of people. But honestly, like seeing some of the people in the group around me, like people that you wouldn't expect to have mental health issues, it was kind of like everyone it generally showed me like everyone suffers it doesn't matter who you are you can suffer from mental health disorders and honestly like I came out of that every session but like you know what I value myself so much higher higher now and like some of the stuff I let happen or the way I let some people treat me it really like resonated with the fact that I've allowed that to happen and just to accept it and thought it was normal and then after going to the session thought, oh okay maybe that's not normal I can't let people treat me like that. And it just made so much sense, like why I why my self-esteem was so alive. It can be really yeah, powerful. Think, yeah. Sorry. Sorry, I, I was just going to no, say, was, yeah, group, group can be really powerful. Sorry, Adrian, go. Yeah. No, I was going to just say the same thing. I think it's, uh, I think trying, trying a group, even if people are a bit wary of it, actually can be helpful because it can also show, it, it really shows you're not on your own. Uh, and a lot of the concerns that an individual might have and think that it's very particular to them actually can be shared by other people. And that in itself can be quite helpful to know. Yeah. I, mean, I wonder if I could- experience. Sorry, Mark. Yeah, sorry. I was just gonna, I was just gonna ask about your co-favorite coping strategy. Sorry to interrupt you, Joe. I mean, we, we always ask our guests on the show and I know you've probably got, you know, a whole toolbox of coping strategies, but I just, if you just, if you, I'll ask both of you, if you just chose one, that you know you you would kind of say you know would be a good cope it would, would be something that you know if somebody could do every day to you know scaffold their mental health what what would you say what what would you what would you suggest what would your go-to be if you, if you had to choose one going outside <laughs> just you know people getting outside getting exposed to daylight that's actually really something um melbourne was the most lockdown city in the world for a while there and um you know, going outside, getting some exposure to light, getting out there, doing something, even if it's just a walk to the letterbox, not that you get mail these days, but, but that basic kind of getting out there doing stuff, it can be often really underestimated in terms of what it does to change our mood and can even do, can even be like the coping strategy in terms of 
you you have some bad news delivered, you have an argument with somebody, I just need a little break back in a minute. That can just change your state of being enough for you to get a clear head to be able to come back into that situation slightly differently. So as a sort of thing that we should most be most people should be able to do, just kind of yeah, getting out, being outside, yeah, that stuff. Yeah, and mine is quite similar. I, I definitely encourage people to get daylight as much as possible. Um, my approach is I know I need regular exercise. Uh, and for me, that's trying to get something like 20 to 30 minutes, at least four or so times a week, if I can. Uh, some days I'm just totally backed up and I can't I can't get out to do it but I'll at least um, try to just build it in incidentally to the day so I'll I'll get off the bus a couple of stops early to force myself to walk a bit more um, I think any kind of exercise is good and we know from the research I think you were saying earlier um, that it in itself is quite an important mood regulator so a way of, of managing mood um the other thing that i think is really important is trying to to get a decent night's sleep i know that in itself is a whole other pandora's box that i probably shouldn't open mm. um but at least if people can do the best they can to create the opportunity to to shoot for around at least seven hours if you can um i know that's pretty important for me Thank you both for joining us. It's been a pleasure talking to you and I'm, I'm sure our listeners will find it very beneficial. Hopefully it might encourage a few people to go and try it, try therapy out and, and kind of debunk a few myths about therapy being scary. <laughs> I definitely have been through a few different therapies, different types and different therapists and it does help and it is all about finding the right person as well. I've been through, with people that I just didn't click with and I, I still see someone now, even though I cope okay and pretty have good pretty pretty good strategies in place. Um I still see someone once every month and it's I'm at that stage where if I need to cancel I can and it won't affect me that much. Um but therapy's definitely beneficial. Um and I'll say thank you to Mark for helping co-host again. Um and thank you to our listeners. Um and I forgot to say this in the last episode, but um if you have been affected by anything that's been discussed in this episode um do contact your local helpline um we do share the links on our social media after we release the episode and um, we have it for pretty much every country you have people like samaritans as we mentioned earlier lifeline um the suicide helpline as well there's lots um and the help's there if you need it you're not as we mentioned and as the podcast is called you're never alone um, and we'll be back soon with another episode. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Good to meet you Thank both. You. Thank you so much.